my god, they're dead! Who could have done such a heinous act? I bet it was that frog down by the swamp. I don't like that frog. He's got them shifty eyes. It was that convict Ironjaw, that rapscallion. I bet it was that strange shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on Thursday nights. I swear to you, it was my stuffed panda. He's, he's possessed. It could have been Ricky's arm. We haven't seen it since it got cut off. I definitely know who the killer is. That that way. Way. Blank is the killer. Hello and welcome to Blank is the Killer, the unoriginal horror movie podcast where I, your skull mask wearing host, Josh Baker, cover six new to me horror movies with a random spooky topic seven at the end. This episode features drugged minions, possessed killers, and werewolf siblings. Follow me into this once hidden area. We can chit chat about spooky films. Number one, Hellmaster 1992, directed by Douglas Schultz. A mad scientist named Professor Jones created a drug that allows him to control people. After years in hiding, he returns to a university with his minions and starts killing people. Jones is eventually defeated by a psychic girl named... Uh, Psychic Girl, that uses the drug to amplify her powers. Professor Jones and his minions are the killers. I've been perusing the Amazon Prime offerings looking for dank movies to watch for my weekly horror movie watch party blood and bone vinegar syndrome has been restoring and releasing a bunch of fun old horror movies so i thought to myself why not see if anything they've released is available to stream hellmaster which i'll probably end up calling helltaker at some point in this section it's not a movie about a man collecting demon babes hellmaster is a movie about uh a crazy scientist man that might also have psychic powers that has transformed people into his evil minions i think that's what the movie is supposed to be about hellmaster is a jumbled all over the place mess the biggest name in the movie is john saxon john saxon has been in a lot of great horror movies he's in tenebra and the nightmare on elm street series Mr. Saxon wouldn't sign up to be in a terrible movie, would he? It tracks that he would. He's been in a ton of movies, and my brain cherry-picked the good ones to reinforce my decision to unleash Hellmaster on myself and others. I was like evil, mad scientist John Saxon, but instead of injecting people with a gross-looking serum, I assaulted their viewing experience with Hellmaster. The movie has a bunch of oddities that are interesting. There's a cliche jock idiot character, but this jock stereotype is different. He has a whip. It's never explained, nor does it make sense, why a college jock is parading around campus with a whip. Maybe he was a big fan of Harrison Ford's archaeologist movies. Since there is a whip in Hellmaster, You'd expect a ton of ridiculous whip scenes. There aren't any goofy whip scenes. If you want to see someone have their arm whipped off, watch UHF instead. Seriously, Weird Al's movie has more whip-related gore than Hellmaster. The evil minions in Hellmaster 
almost save the movie. They each have their own demented personality. You have characters like Joey the Monkey Boy, who's a terrifying child freak, and Bobby Razorface, whose whole shtick is looking spooky with his cut-up face. The minions not being bland really helps, but they still aren't enough to save the movie. A remake that focuses more on the different members of the Happy Face Bible School, a name that I've given the group based on the church bus they stole, and Kills could be a great time. Hellmaster has good bones, it's just presented as an incoherent mess. All of the acting is awful, outside of David M.G., who played a reporter named Robert. He actually attempts to act. There's a main character in Hellmaster that hasn't been brought up yet. The character? Hallways. You heard me right. Hallways. Shots of empty hallways must make up at least 15% of the movie. Another character that hasn't been mentioned yet is a dude on crutches. I forgot pretty much all the names. The crutches dude keeps hitting on this girl that's not interested in him and yells at her because she's not interested in him. Damn, dude, leave her alone. None of the kills in Hellmaster are exciting. At least the gore is practical. The score doesn't match what's happening 80% of the time, but it is filled with these catchy, cheesy synth songs. Don't bother with Hellmaster. It's an incoherent mess that's lacking enough so bad they're good moments to be an enjoyable time. Number 2, Initiation 2020, directed by John Barardo. At a frat party, Ellery finds a new sorority pledge named Kylie passed out in a room. Also in the room are Ellery's brother, Wes, and another frat guy named Bo. Ellery believes Wes sexually assaulted the pledge. Wes is killed by someone. A campus police officer is investigating. Ellery is trying to find the truth about what happened to Kylie. It turns out this wasn't the first time West was accused of sexually assaulting someone. People that enabled Wes and helped cover up his heinous crimes are being murdered. Ellery thinks the killer is attacking her, so she fights back and stabs him. Kylie's dad, the campus police officer, is the killer. I knew within the first 15 minutes of initiation that I should have bailed. When you watch as many movies as I do, you'll train this instinct, and you should always listen to it because it's never wrong. In recent memory, I have only bailed on one movie at that point. I usually decide to continue and end up regretting it. Like usual, I trudged on with initiation. Mistakes were made. Initiation fails as a serious look into how sexual assaults are often swept under the rug at universities. And as a slasher. The craziest reveal in Initiation isn't that the police officer is Kylie's dad and the killer. That reveal is bland. The craziest reveal is a throwaway conversation about how Wes had been accused of sexual assault in the past. Um, what? I guess this is Initiation trying to make a point. It's not important that Wes did that in the past since there are no consequences. Alright, that, that kind of works. It's also how it is in real life. The U.S. legal system is disgusting. Remember that rapist Brock Turner, who I'm assuming is part of the inspiration behind the character Wes, seeing as they're both college swimmers? That dude sexually assaulted a girl behind a dumpster and only served three months in jail. There are people locked up longer for weed charges that are awaiting trial. Hachi machi. I hate it here. 
let's focus on the slasher side of the movie before the dread of the United States of America fully takes over. The kills are mostly bad. There's a well-shot kill that takes place in a bathroom stall that's mostly shown from overhead, but all of the other kills are choppily cut together. Even though the kills aren't exciting in the least, the gore is mostly practical and good. Not only are the kills that happen boring, the entire last third of the movie takes place in one bland location. You think that there will be some interesting college set pieces, but nope. The movie decides to spend 30% of its time in and around an administrative building. Before Bo is killed, he decides to pull down his pants like a kid at a urinal and jacket. It's weird and is the catalyst for gratuitous butt shots, which is the only nudity in the movie. It's really strange. It reminded me of the movies from David Dakota that the Red Letter Media guys watch for Best of the Worst, which have what I'll call very creepy director gaze. Listen, I'm all for equal representation when it comes to nudity in movies, but these booty shots are just peculiar and feel completely out of place. A gimmick in Initiation is an overlay that shows people's texts and social media posts. It seems like it's going to be a driving force of the movie, but is quickly forgotten about after Wes or Bo leaves an exclamation point on a picture Kylie's in the day after the probable assault happened. The exclamation point is left to brand her a slut. Yeah, it's hella gross. You'd think this whole exclamation point thing is going to be a running factor throughout the movie, but it's dropped right away. The acting it's almost completely terrible. Lindsay Lavanchi gives the only decent performance. She does a good job as Ellery. Turns out she was in the MTV Scream series, the first attempt with the weird looking mask. I couldn't remember her and that's because she dies in the first episode. I hope she lands more gigs. She tried her best to carry initiation. Shocking no one, initiation is based on a short. Oh, come on. Yep, I skipped through the short, and it doesn't appear to have anything to do with sexual assault or leaving an exclamation point on someone's social media post. It's more about how you need to be careful with how much information you put on the internet and gives heavy scream vibes. The exclamation point represents social media notifications. I can easily say I enjoyed the short more than the feature-length movie. Don't bother with initiation. If you're looking for this type of revenge movie, I recommend Promising Young Woman instead. It's a much more interesting and unique approach. Number 3, Skull the Mask, 2020, directed by Armando Fonseca and Capel Furman. A shady organization comes into possession of an ancient skull mask. They try to use its power and end up dead. Years later, the mask is found. People that come in contact with it end up dead. A man who cleans up crime scenes is possessed by the mask and starts killing people. A cop lady is investigating the case. She killed at least one innocent kid in the past. An ex-guerrilla fighter who knows about the mask is able to defeat it. Cop lady gives the mask to a man that was trying to collect it and use it for evil. Once cop lady realizes the man wanted to do more than display the mask, she kills him and lets the ex-fighter watch it instead. A shady organization, the Skull Mask, and Cop Lady are the killers. 
Skull the Mask was instantly put on my radar after I saw a picture of a blood-covered man wearing a skull mask. The picture said to me, This movie is going to be filled to the brim with intense, disgusting, over-the-top practical gore. Horror reviewers that saw the movie early confirmed it was packed with gore and that some of it was possibly a bit too gnarly. Ooh, a horror movie filled with gross-out, over-the-top practical gore. Is Skull the Mask going to be the new inside? No, not at all. Skull the Mask has a little gore, but none of it's shocking, unique, or interesting. The gore is on the level of your average R-rated horror movie. The gnarliest thing that happens is a man having part of his face chopped off with a machete, and that didn't even look all that great. The only other memorable gore is a bunch of chest-bursting scenes, which aren't anything to write home about. The rib cages bursting open kind of looked lame. That definitely sounds like something that should be intense and cool, but it ends up being bland and repetitive since it happens multiple times. Even though the gore falls flat, the practical effects for the skull scuttling around with weird crab legs was a lot of fun. The sound design feels unfinished. There are multiple scenes that are either silent or have a simple layer of ill-fitting foley work. There's some weird plot stuff. One lady is given the skull mask. She then heads home. Her girlfriend then seems to know exactly what the skull mask is and performs a special ritual with it. It's like the girl dated the lady to get close to the mask without having any idea the lady would come into possession of the mask. It's weird. They both end up dead because tragic lesbian trope. The GF's ritual reminded me that there are some really neat visuals that include a giant skeleton king guy on a throne and a weird skull coin thing that gets more and more blood on it as the possessed guy kills. That stuff was neat. The ex-fighter guy has a flamethrower which seems like something that would be able to stop the possessed guy, but the flamethrower is never fully utilized. Unlike the rest of the movie, Skull the Mask starts off heavy on Kung Fury vibes. The first 10 minutes are hyper-stylized and fun, but that's quickly dropped once the movie leaves the past for the present. Maybe Skull would have ended up receiving a recommendation if it kept with all the camp. All that I wanted from Skull the Mask was over-the-top practical gore insanity, and unfortunately, it does not deliver on that aspect. There's no need for a whole side plot about a cop that killed some kids for reasons. There doesn't need to even be a shady organization. All that was necessary was someone finding the Skull Mask, becoming possessed by it, and going on a rampage. Skull the Mask should have kept it simple and goofy, but instead tries to pack in a bunch of stuff that doesn't work instead of a bunch of wacky kills and gore. It's a bummer, but skip this one. Number 4, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, 2021, directed by Michael Chavez. A Satanist is performing a ritual. The ritual causes a girl to kill her girlfriend and then herself. It also makes a guy kill one of his roommates. The guy is then arrested for murder. The Warrens investigate and defeat the Satanist. The guy is freed from prison. A Satanist is the killer. That summary is stupid. Here's the real one. The Warrens help a murderer get a reduced sentence by lying about the existence of demons. When it comes to the Conjuring Universe movies, 
I've only seen the main ones. Oh, and The Curse of La Llorona. But it sounds like that's being removed from the Conjuring canon. I haven't seen the first Conjuring in ages, but remember liking it. The second one is a solid horror comedy. I apologize to anyone that was in the theater with me when I saw The Conjuring 2. I seem to have found it way funnier than other patrons. Since I've seen La Llorona, and that was also directed by Conjuring 3 director Michael Chavez, I'll hit on that too again. It's terrible. Like straight up terrible. Needless to say, I'm not much of a Conjuring fan. The Conjuring 3 is bad. The editing is awful and jarring. Scenes are haphazardly thrown together in a disorienting fashion. It's visually bland. Everything's overly dark and grungy. You know what's a really crappy thing to do? Frame a murderer as a dude that didn't do anything wrong. Conjuring 3 is based on a true story. The true story being a murderer killed a guy and then got a heavily reduced sentence since the crackpot Warrens were somehow able to brainwash people into thinking demons were involved. That dude that was murdered has a family, you know. Conjuring 3 is incredibly regressive. Bad thing happened because devil. Satanists are killing people. None of this is true, and pushing these ideals is archaic at this point in time. This is the second movie this episode to include the tragic lesbians trope. The Satanist makes a girl kill her girlfriend and then herself. Let's talk about the Satanist. The Satanist, who I'll call Sadie, <laughs> is the most interesting carrier in the movie. I was rooting for Sadie. The movie obviously wants you to root for the Warrens and Possessed Boy, but the Warrens are painfully unlikable, and the Possessed Boy got possessed because he specifically asked to be. If someone says, hey, I give you permission to stab me, then whines about being stabbed, I'm not going to feel bad for them. You know that Hill House kid with the glasses that's in every horror movie that needs a young boy these days? He's in Conjuring 3. His name is Julian Hilliard. I don't think I've ever disliked a child actor as much as I dislike him. He can't act at all and his goofy little face annoys me. Stop putting him in every horror movie. The only movie I liked him in was Greener Grass, and that's because he turns into a dog. Anyway, that kid is possessed and then the future murderer guy is like, Ayo demon, enter me instead of this boy. Not only does the guy murder someone, he stabbed the victim 20-something times while his girlfriend watched. She isn't even phased by seeing this vile attack and still loves the guy. Uh. The best part of the movie is right before the murder. Possessed dude sees a box of cereal mysteriously fall off a shelf. This led to my fiancé and me making jokes about the devil wanting a bowl of cereal. Come on, dude. Help me out. I don't have a physical form. Pour your best bud Satan a bowl of cereal. I require breakfast sustenance. We ripped a ton off the cereal. And I can honestly say that was the most enjoyment I got out of the entire movie. Back to Sadie. Sadie shows incredible power. She can make people do things. She can teleport. How is it possible that she's defeated? 
Well, the only way to stop her ritual and send her to hell was to destroy her altar. So Lorraine Warren finds the altar. Ed Warren shows up, but is hypnotized by Sadie after she blows pocket sand into his eyes. Hypnotized Ed then pursues Lorraine with a sledgehammer. Nice job, Sadie. How can you possibly lose now? Ed's gonna kill Lorraine. Your ritual's gonna be a success. Everything's coming up, Sadie. Well, Sadie decides there's no reason to watch or protect her altar, which leads to, you guessed it, Ed destroying it with the sledgehammer. <sighs> so stupid. So stupid. Why wouldn't Sadie just use her incredible power to kill the Warrens? Ugh. Oh, and guess what Sadie's motive is for, for doing all this? She has no motive. <laughs> there's, there's a throwaway line where a guy says, Satanists just do things to do them. Yeah, no, no motivation or anything. That's cool. The acting? I found almost all the acting terrible. I'm not a fan of Vera Farmiga's Lorraine Warren or Patrick Wilson's Ed. I think they're both fine actors, but I don't think The Conjuring movies is a good vessel for anyone. How are the jump scares? The Conjuring universe is known for them. I'm not a big jump scare fan myself, but hot damn are the jump scares abysmal in Conjuring 3. They are the most half-assed jump scares you'll ever see. They don't even succeed at being startling. It's mind-boggling that Michael Chavez was chosen to direct Conjuring 3 after how bad the curse of La Llorona was. I almost forgot that Conjuring 3 tries to make blondies call me creepy. It fails miserably. Instead of licensing that song, they should have had Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer for the altar-smashing scene. I know that it came out in the late 80s and the movie is set in the early 80s. The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It is bad, and it should feel bad. Even though it's awful, if you have HBO Max, you might as well check it out. I did not get the appeal of these movies. One last thing. Using the Lord's Prayer to combat demon possession is stupid. At least recite something in Latin. Number 5, Once Bitten, 1985, directed by Howard Storm. Mark's girlfriend Robin won't put out, so he has a one-night stand with an older woman who goes by Countess. Mark thinks they got intimate, but Countess is actually a vampire who needs to suck the blood of a virgin three times. All she did was suck Mark's blood. Robin finds out about the one-night stand, and Mark doesn't understand why she's upset. Countess sucks Mark's blood a second time. She then kidnaps Robin to make Mark come to her for a third helping. Before Countess can get the final suck, Mark and Robin do the deed. No one is the killer. Maybe in the past the vampires killed people for blood, but there are no on-screen deaths in Once Bitten. Jim Carrey is the reason I put on Once Bitten. How is he in the movie? He's not great, but he's trying his best with what he was given. Once Bitten is a by-the-book vampire movie. Have you ever seen a movie where someone is being turned into a vampire? You've seen Once Bitten. It has all the regular bites. I mean, beats. Schmuck is bitten. Schmuck doesn't know they're changing. Schmuck is 
able to best the head vampire. And once bitten, the schmuck is Mark, who's played by Jim Carrey. Mark is one of the most unlikable protagonists I've ever seen. Mark has an amazing girlfriend named Robin, who wants to bang, but doesn't want to get down to business in the front seat of an ice cream truck at a parking lot where people bone down in their cars. If you want someone to get intimate with you, maybe don't make a move in a similar situation. At least offer the back of the ice cream truck where you can have a tasty treat that looks like a cartoon character after. Since Robin declines Mark's abysmal proposal, he goes out to score a random hot one-night stand. For all intents and purposes, Mark believes he went all the way with the Countess. Does Mark regret this? Does he feel guilty in the slightest? Nope. What about after Robin finds out? Nope. He's just annoyed that Robin's upset about the whole thing. Jeez, Robin, so what? I banged some random old lady while we were together. It's not like you were giving me any action in the front seat of my ice cream truck. It's impossible to root for Mark. Mark and Robin eventually realize no sex actually happened. But come on, Robin. Just because Mark didn't succeed on his cheat on you mission doesn't excuse his direct intent to. You're better than this, Robin. Robin was played by Karen Coppins, who gives a solid performance. There's a Halloween dance. Robin goes as Jill. You know, the Jack and Jill. Jill. She has little red circles on her cheeks, so she just ends up looking more like Pikachu. One thing Once Bitten deserves kudos for is its attempts at visual humor. Sure, most of the jokes fall flat, but the absurdity of how the banging in the other cars in the parking lot is shown, Jamie taking out a latex glove when he's asked if he has protection, and Jamie coming out of a dryer with shrunken clothes, amongst other things, are at least grin-inducing. Who's Jamie? Mark has two friends, Jamie and Russ. Throughout most of the movie, I thought Jamie's name was Chester, which is a much funnier name. Jamie is somewhat a likable doofus. Russ is a cringy idiot. Russ delivers a line about wanting to skip to the bedroom three times to different people. Surprisingly, the line works on a lady at a laundromat. Problem is, the lady wants to tie up Russ, so he runs away. You can't just proposition people right when you meet them, and then bail when they're into it and want to throw a little BDSM into the mix. If that's going to spook you, Russie boy, you need to stop creeping so hard, you degenerate. Once Bitten is an 80s movie, so of course there's a scene where Russ thinks he's meeting a lady, only for him to find out the person he was talking to is a man in drag. That's the credit for the character. Man in drag. Well, at least this never funny bit is the only thing in the movie that could be considered homophobic. It's not like Jamie and Russ attempt to look at Mark's upper thigh while they're showering at school, which leads to everyone else in the shower yelling slurs and running away. Oops, that totally happens. Robin asks them to check for bite wounds. Why wouldn't Robin, Russ, or Jamie straight up ask Mark if he has a wound there? Can't have a haha, looks like they're gay scene that way. This makes me question a certain sequence in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stardust Crusaders, that I found funny. It's a similar scene where two straight characters end up in 
compromising positions. Characters Joseph Joestar and Avdol are turned into magnets by a villain, so they end up stuck together and look like they're doing certain sexual acts while trying to detach from each other. No slurs are shouted, and this whole being stuck together thing happens in front of a group of children, which makes it completely absurd. The joke would have worked with any combination of characters that weren't attracted to each other, though, so I'm not sure if it's homophobic in JoJo. It for sure is in Once Bitten. That's what I'm supposed to be talking about, not my newfound love for the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure series. In Once Bitten, Countess is played by Lauren Hutton. She doesn't really portray the commanding presence you'd expect from the character. It sounds like she wasn't anywhere near the first pick for the role. The first pick was Cassandra Peterson, the mistress of the dark herself, Elvira. I don't even think Elvira could have saved this movie, seeing as you can't make an unfunny movie funny just by inserting Elvira. See Elvira's Haunted Hills. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark is amazing, though. The role of Mark was written for Michael J. Fox. I think he would have done equally as good as Jim Carrey. The problem with Mark wasn't the actor, it was the writing. Anyone could have played Mark, and I still wouldn't have been rooting for him due to his actions in the movie. One good thing about Once Bitten is that it taught me about telephone bars. Bars where there would be a phone at every table that could be used to call other tables. Allegedly, these were real. I think a telephone bar would be a huge success today. If I can figure out how to get funding, I might start one and become crazy rich. I trust you listeners not to steal my idea, or at least do it outside of Texas. If you're in Texas, come into business with your favorite podcast host. Once Bitten sucks. It's not bad enough to laugh at. It's not good enough on its own to merit a strong recommendation. It can be an okay time with friends and drinks, but there are way better movies out there for that. Number 6, Cursed, 2005, directed by Wes Craven. Brother and sister, Jimmy and Ellie, witness a werewolf attack and walk away with lycanthropy. People they know are being killed by werewolves. One of Ellie's rivals, named Joni, is a werewolf. Joni has been killing her competition. Joni was turned by a guy she used to date named Jake, who Ellie's been seeing. Joni is taken down by cops. Since Joni didn't put the whole werewolf curse in motion, Ellie and Jimmy are still cursed. The siblings work together to kill Jake after he attacks them. Jake and Joni are the killers. There's a movie that's beloved by horror fans. That movie is Scream. Cursed has the same director and writer that Scream does. Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson. What went wrong with Cursed? A really stupid producer named Bob Weinstein. That rapist's brother. There was an original idea for Cursed that was 90% filmed. Rick Baker did the effects work. It was a new, unique take on werewolves. Then Bob was like, Nah, me don't like movie. Make movie dumb. This led to Cursed being, well, cursed. It was almost entirely redone. Then when version 2 was complete, dumbass Bob still required more tinkering to make the movie even worse. How stupid do you have to be to meddle with something that has Wes Craven, Kevin Williamson, and Rick Baker working on it? Since it's currently impossible to see the movie that Curse could have been, 
I'm going to talk about what ended up being released. Curse starts off with a band that a lot of people my age know and love, Bowling for Soup. Does their sound really fit the opening credits and intro to a werewolf movie? Not at all. But Bowling for Soup rules. Cursed would have been way better if Ellie was dating the entire band Bowling for Soup instead of the brooding secret werewolf Jake. Okay, so Bowling for Soup is in the movie. Who else? Well, everyone. Christina Ricci, Jesse Eisenberg, Judy Greer, Portia de Rossi, Shannon Elizabeth, Nick Offerman, Scott Bayo, Milo Venti Miglia, and even Lance Bass. Let's talk about some of these actors. Christina Ricci played Ellie, the main protagonist. She kind of shares the protagonist role with Jesse Eisenberg, who plays her brother Jimmy. Ricci is really bad in this. Her delivery makes it sound like she's completely uninterested in anything that's happening. Maybe she had given up on the project and decided to phone it in, which does make sense. If you made something good and some out-of-touch boomer clown made you reshoot stuff for years, you'd probably stop putting in effort too. I'm not blaming Richie. Eisenberg does a little better as Jimmy, the wimpy younger brother who ends up with the girl at the end after being bullied by a bunch of homophobes. They use pretty much every sophomoric insult you can think of. Sure, the main bully and boyfriend to the girl Jimmy ends up with turns out to be gay, but that doesn't really excuse the overabundance of homophobia in the movie. The weirdest casting goes to Portia de Rossi, who played a fortune teller. She doesn't fit the character at all and must have been thrown into the movie at the last possible minute. One actor, and one actor alone, tries to carry Cursed on her back. That actor is Judy Greer, who plays Joni, who's basically playing a werewolf version of Greer's 13 going on 30 character. Greer is a beacon of light and an otherwise dreadful Cursed. At one point, werewolf form Joni is baited into coming out of hiding by Ellie and Jimmy. How do they get her to come out of hiding? Well, they uh, insult her looks. She pops out and flips the bird at the siblings before being showered in bullets. If I was a werewolf and needed to bail, some people saying that Josh guy is a chubby idiot wouldn't faze me. I can always maul them later. Cursed plays fast and loose with the werewolf rules. Seeing as Joni is able to be taken down by regular bullets, Jimmy's dog Zipper becomes a werewolf after biting him. If anything, Jimmy should have transformed into a golden retriever instead of Zipper becoming a werewolf. Werewolf Cursed Jimmy might have been the inspiration for emo Peter Parker and Spider-Man 3. They give off the same vibe. At one point, Ellie is at a PETA benefit event. All the waiters in the background of the scenes are waddling around dressed as penguins. Needless to say, they steal your gaze from the credited actors. Cursed was originally supposed to be rated R, but due to dum-dum meddling, it was released in a PG-13 state. There was supposed to be a bunch of awesome werewolf attack gore, but that's all gone in the cut I saw. The most gore you see is a decapitated Jake in the corner of a scene. It's not much, but it's surprising that a severed head was able to make it into the PG-13 cut. How did the werewolves look? 
all of Rick Baker's stuff was removed and replaced by work from K&B. Then, a lot of K&B's stuff was removed for CGI. There are very few werewolf effects that don't look terrible and uninspired. Even the practical stuff isn't exciting. Cursed is an absolute mess. It's an entertaining mess, though, up until the last fourth of the movie, where it becomes mind-numbingly dull. Consider a drunk movie night with your friends. Turns out all the footage from the original and reshoots still exists. Maybe the real Cursed will be released someday. Number 7. The Statue of Unity There was a Reddit post that questioned what statue would win in a fight if they all became sentient. I thought about it. The Statue of Liberty is pretty dank big, right? Then I dove into statue research. Did you know there's a statue that's about two times as tall as the Statue of Liberty? It's called the Statue of Unity. Once I found out about this statue, I realized that insanely large humanoid statues fill me with dread. I was okay with the Statue of Liberty and Christ the Redeemer, but the size of the Statue of Unity instills fear in me. It's just too dang big. Why is there a statue that big? It's like its creators didn't even bother to think about what would happen if it was brought to life. Just looking at pictures that show its immense size fill my stomach with despair. I guess I have a giant statue phobia now. Cool. That's a wrap on Blank is the Killer 99, Drugged Minions, Possessed Killers, and Werewolf Siblings. If you like what you heard, consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes. The next episode is big ol' number 100. Wow, how time flies. Unfortunately, I don't have anything special planned. I racked my brain, but as you all know, there isn't much to rack. Maybe I'll have a eureka moment between now and the hundo release. Until then, don't put on any ancient skull masks, and stay away from anyone who's currently possessed by one.